A special episode of Wizards After Dark, not a post-game show, doing it Sunday at 4 p.m. before the Super Bowl. I don't know if this is going to go up Sunday night or if we're going to wait till Monday morning to post it. Uh, I just don't know the answer, but whenever you're listening to this, it's up. So congratulations. You have a trade deadline preview podcast that you get to listen to all about the Wizards. I'm Fred Katz. I'm the host of Wizards After Dark. And on the other line, back to back to back episodes. We were gonna do this in the last episode, and then we just ended up talking about the game for forty minutes. And uh, so we're making it its own episode. Ben Standig. The uh, the fact that you said it was like a special episode, I feel like we should be talking about like I don't know, like uh, you know, teen pregnancy or little Johnny struggling in math or something. We can get the more you know graphics going up there. <laughs> right. Do do do. Yeah. We can talk about teen pregnancy but- if you'd like. Uh, you want to get into I, it. I, I am not the, uh, I'm the, the, there's not many experts, uh, subjects I am an expert on. That would be very, very low on the list of things I should be talking about. So, um, but yes, it was, you know, kids, uh, you know, be careful out there. <laughs> well, I, I feel like kids be careful out there could be the slogan for the, for the trade deadline. Let's, let's talk about that. Could be. Because teams be careful out there. Uh, let's talk about it in relation to the Wizards. We've got a few things on, on the outline for today. So the trade deadline is Thursday afternoon, February 6th. We're recording this on February 2nd. I'm assuming between the time we record this and the time this thing posts, there's going to be no news that makes this invalid. Uh, but I wanted to do this a few days in advance so people have the time to listen. I expect the Wizards to be pretty quiet come the trade deadline possible there's a fringe move made on the last day or something like that but i i i don't think anything huge is going to happen uh any any general thoughts you got before we dive into this thing yeah i mean i think i think that's the the same way i uh, tried to do some homework you know uh on this uh put away my put, put aside my redskin stuff for a few days and try to look at some of this talk to some people whatever and yeah i mean i think the general sense is that Unless something unexpected happens on the Bertans front, that is not a ton. I don't think people are expecting a ton of things for the Wizards to do at the deadline. Post deadline, maybe, but at the deadline, yeah, I mean, not not much. And, uh, but I mean, I think there's still some things to discuss, even to the point of like, why is that the case? But yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not expecting much happening here, um, which is you know, not fun. It's more fun when stuff happens, but. What are you gonna not do? for the players. <laughs> most not for most the players. definitely not for the players. I think they prefer not to be traded. But I agree. The other stuff is more fun. Um, let's talk. You brought up Bertans. Let's talk about Bertans. I don't think he'll be traded. I would be surprised if he were traded. Um, the Wizards came out. Tommy Shepard went on a podcast. What was it? Two months ago a team podcast, and he flatly said, we don't want to trade him. And from the way the market is going, from the way that other teams are approaching this, from stuff that I've heard, it sounds like all of that is still very much true. I don't think they want to trade Bertans. I do think they want to resign Bertans. Bertans has, has said that he would 
uh, be very open to re-signing in D.C. He likes it in D.C. He likes playing for the Wizards. His family likes living in D.C. I think it's always possible that some giant trade, there are so few players in the league, LeBron, Kawhi, Giannis, there's so few players in the league who are just flatly untradeable. The Lakers will not trade LeBron James. There is no offer you could make the Lakers for LeBron James that would make them give you LeBron James. He is untradeable, and that is the if that's how we define untradeable, that is what off the table truly is. Davis Bertans is a very good player, but is not the caliber of player to where you can say there's no offer out there that you can make that would make them go back on their word because it would just be at a certain point. If you offer Carl Anthony Towns for Davis Bertans, that's front office malpractice to turn that down, right? So there's some yes. offer out there. But realistically, when a team says we're not trading him, that means we think the absolute most ridiculously egregious offer that we could get realistically for Davis Bertans is this. And if we receive that offer, we still won't trade him. And I think that's where the Wizards are at with Bertans. I would be very surprised if any move came and Davis Bertans were involved. Like, as surprised as I would at any point this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think that the center in the league is that the Wizards are going to hold court. You know, um, uh, we all understand, you know, whether we're in, in this business or people who are at, you know avid followers of the league understand we're, we're in the, you know, the, the misinformation part of the year. You hear about this rumor, you hear about that rumor, this team's doing this, team's doing that. And obviously the teams themselves somewhere are, are somewhat involved at times. Tommy Shepard's a pretty straight shooter when he says things publicly. I mean, if you really go look at the, you know, what he's done since he's taken over, he most of what he has said has been what has happened. I think if I, if I think I'm right. And so when he comes out and gives the hard answer to we're not going to trade Bertans, like you said, anything is possible. Some team comes in, offers a lottery pick or you know potential lot, you know, you know something of note. You know who who knows or 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 a really interesting player. Than anything's possible, but I, I do believe his intention is to not move him. And there's also, you know, I guess we can get into it. You know, it doesn't make you know what would we do? I mean, there are practical reasons to keep him. I think there are also viable reasons to trade him, even if you're not getting some major, some major haul. But uh, you know, uh, the from the Wizards' perspective, it does seem apparent that keeping a guy like that, who you have a better chance to to re-sign because of the bird rights, things like that. And obviously, they they got to need some people, you know, to help this team going forward. And you know, the return of John Wall alone isn't enough. They're not going to be big players in free agency. So keeping Bertans is sort of like signing a free agent on some level. Um, but like I said, I think there's also reasons to consider the move, whether they ultimately do or not. Yeah, I mean, look, they—I've said this many times—they are just gushing over how they think he could be next to John Wall. They think he could be so good next to John Wall with just the fact that he is as good of a catch-and-shoot guy as there's been in the NBA this year and would certainly be the best catch-and-shoot option John Wall had ever played alongside. You know, And they are everyone in that organization is so excited for that. So I, I get it. If you get offered the 28th pick for Davis Bertans, I get why you would say no. At the same time, like, they they say they want to compete next year, but the, and there are, there are realistic ways they can improve the defense. Isaiah Thomas would be an addition by subtraction. 
addition by subtraction. If if he's gone next year, that 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 will going from Isaiah Thomas to to John Walls or starting point guard will improve that. But at the same time, Wall was not very good defensively the last few years. Bradley Beal has struggled defensively. Part of it is an effort thing. He can pick up his effort if they're more competitive, presumably. If you're closing games with Bertans and Rui as your two forwards, there's not a lot of defensive potential there. Whether you close with Thomas Bryant or Mo Wagner, not a lot of defensive potential there. You're going to struggle a lot defensively. You're really digging into being one of the worst defensive teams. And if that's the case, you better be unbelievable on offense. Now, you know what's crazy? You know, John Wall did not lead an offense to the top half of the league in offensive efficiency until the first Scott Brooks year. Um, uh, okay. I isn't mean, that, isn't I, that crazy? I'm trying and to think back of this team. Isn't that crazy? Like, like none of the, the Randy Whitman, John Wall teams, like none of, none of those teams were just the top half of the league in offense. Uh, and then they, they kind of collapsed back down after that 49-win season. Now, right. I'm not on, arguing on, on, that John Wall is incapable of leading a top half of the league team. A lot of what Randy Whitman did offensively didn't work that well. But my point is just having John Wall back does not mean all of a sudden you're going to have this unbelievable, um, unstoppable offense, which is going to be able to offset the defense to take you to 45 wins, let's say. If you're going to be 27th in defense, you got to be pretty high in offense in order to be a good team. Uh, so so, so they do have to find some way to have defense. And if they dig into Bertans, I mean, they're not going to have cap space this summer if they want to re-sign Bertans. If they re-sign Bertans, they are basically saying in order for us to be competitive— they're going to have the mid-level exception, the biannual exception, a couple trade exceptions that they can work with to improve elsewhere. They're obviously going to have a high draft pick this year in all likelihood. Those are ways that you can help the team and improve on this current roster. But if you look at what they're going to be closing games with, because if you pay Bertans, you got to be closing games with them. You're not going to pay a guy $14 million just to come back and play 22 minutes and not be a closer. That wouldn't make any sense. They view him as a closer if they pay him what they know he's going to cost this summer, which is fine. But you're going to have a go-to unit that is going to struggle on defense. So you better find ways to make that offense legitimately elite or else you're you're really going to struggle even if you bring in some other pieces to put around those guys. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, just uh, just one other thing, like with that, to go back for a quick sec, the Whitman teams, like they were offensively challenged to a degree, but they were like top 10 defensively fairly consistently, despite being not not very good for most of that time. So that, that they, they they found they did good things on that end. But yes, offensively, they had some issues for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, look, and this is the thing with Bertans is why, like, I mean, I've kind of come around to the idea that while I totally get why the Wizards are interested in keeping him. He makes sense to keep him. You could probably help appease Bradley Beal a little bit more if need to by saying, hey, look, this guy's obviously been a big find for us. We want to keep him for the long haul. I'm sure that would be viewed positively, and and and, and that's important. you got to keep Bradley Beal happy since, you know, he, he was willing to stay this year, and we don't know if he'll be willing to, you know, go forward or force a contract or force a trade or things like that next year and uh, yeah john wall back alone is not enough and maybe this is a team that you know with bertans these guys healthy yada 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 can get you back into the playoffs but you know the goal in the preseason we've said this now eight billion times 
It was not about this year. It's about next year. It's about figuring out what young players you have, with you know the Hachimores and Troy Browns, but also what else can you get? What other pieces can you get either to add the, as the player themselves or just simply as an asset that you can do something with going forward? And I think Bertans in the beginning of the year he was he was clear he was a player that they added a very positive one. Obviously, I mean, it's been incredibly fun watching him stroke threes from all over the court, get incredibly hot, um, you know, and and he's worthy of getting a a, a big extension and all that. But what's the goal going forward? Because if the goal going forward is to contend for a title, and I would argue, I've said this before, that I don't always know if that's the case with every owner and maybe this one as well, that – this is a business. The business of basketball is to put people in the seats. If you buy sort of default or, or in a luck kind of way, put yourself in position to contend for a title because obviously in the NBA that's very difficult. We all kind of know how this works. Players go to certain cities. You got to get the right year to have the right number one pick, all that kind of stuff. Only a handful of guys really change everything. You know, then, then what else are you trying to do? And I think keeping Bertans would, would be a sign towards, well, we're, we're, we want to get back into the mix for the playoffs after last year, after the last two years. But there's no way that realistically, as as it stands, we'd be viewing it as the Wizards are putting themselves back in the top of the East to contend with Milwaukee, Philly, or, or what have you. Again, we, they can always get lucky in the lottery and, and to get the guy who's the next Donovan Mitchell or somebody um, outside the, for the top pick. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I, I think I've, I've veered more towards I would strongly consider options for Bertans. To get to get draft pick assets, to not tack on more money to a to already a bloated salary cap sheet for a guy who I really like, but how, like you said, how, what am I doing at the last five minutes of a big game? Am I using him and Rui together? Can I use him? I mean, you know, with Thomas Bryant, we have no rim protection. Who are we gonna have the guard a, a, a strong wing? I, it just feels like there's a lot of unknowns that way and um you know i don't know it would be tough to find a guy equal to bertant with the 26 pick in the draft i'm not arguing that but tying up the money if the goal is to really contend for a title i I just don't know if i see tying up him with that money is the way to go but again i don't think that's their actual goal which is why i think keeping him is still the likely scenario yep i've i've written this before um the spurs strategy and jonathan simmons is always the go-to on this right the Spurs strategy is not to re-sign Jonathan Simmons. It's to find the next Jonathan Simmons. Uh, you know, if you pay the value in Davis Bertans is that he makes $7 million. He's a very good player. Now, if you think that John Wall comes back and he's going to be healthy and John's rehab's going well, that's really going to take you to the next level. That's fine. Bertans is the missing piece. That's a different conversation. But the value in Davis Bertans, at least this year, is that he costs $7 million and that he has way outperformed that, which is why he's going to get a huge raise this summer. When Davis Bertans is making $16 million, he's the guy who, who kind of locks in your cap inflexibility. Different, it's a different sort of value. You view him differently in that sense. Um, let's talk about somebody else because we've talked about trade stuff. Who, who do you think, if I told you, you went to sleep today? And you were exhausted and you passed out for 96 hours and you woke up at 6 p.m. on Thursday. And I told you the Wizards made a trade. Who would your guess be that was traded? Wow. 96 hours. I'm trying. I mean, I've been I'm, I'm trying to think how much I would really like that. That would be amazing. Um, 
96 hour nap. Uh, who would be so? I was going through the list, and you know, it's so funny, right? Like CJ Miles would have been the obvious candidate, or or an obvious candidate if he had not gotten healthy. A, a guy who was a you know, can give you some three and D help to some degree or is a veteran presence that, you know, at least he wouldn't sort of vomit all over himself in the last five minutes of a big game for a contending team. If need be, he would be an obvious guy, but obviously that's, that that's a non factor. I mean, I could see hypothetically some team knocking on the door to check out ish Smith, but if you're the wizards, you know, I don't think you can move ish Smith. I mean, again, all relative to the offer, but I don't think you could really afford to move him based on the, you know, this year, you can't just throw this year away. Mind you, not, I don't mean the playoffs, but like you need, to continue to lay down some foundation moving forward. And Ish Smith does a really good job of helping you. You do that with his play. So based on that, I mean, I don't know, Jordan McRae, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess, I guess it's, I don't think this is going to happen, but I guess I would probably say Jan Mahimi, but only in the sense of like, if the wizards find a guy out there that some other team has, that's making good money, both this year and next year, that the Wizards can, you know, flip Mahimi's salary to get, and they maybe view it as this is a guy we think could help us next year. We, we, we have some money to spend with Mahimi's money going off the books, some other things. Maybe you even decide Bertans is whatever, and, 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 and you can lock in this guy for at least next year rather than having to, uh, you know, hit free agency and possibly overspend or get shut out. But I don't know. I, that, I, at the moment, I think that's like all I got. I don't know if I really see anything else. And again, that's even a very low percentage based on what I heard. I think most people think Mahimi would get get released after the trade deadline uh, and possibly signed somewhere else. But I, I guess I'll go Mahimi. Mahimi's a good one. Um, here's the thing that's interesting. Mahimi's a big $16 million contract. There aren't that many bad long-term deals anymore in the league compared to the last three or four years because Mahimi is one of those 2016 big deals. Now all those guys are expiring. So teams aren't really dying to get off of that. Now, there, there are some that still make sense. So, and I'm just throwing out names. These are just kind of guys on similar money in that 11 to $16 million range who are on, on the books for this year and next year. Tony Snell has a player option for next year, $12 million, and he's somebody Detroit might want to get off of. Detroit has salary cap room this summer, and that might be something. Uh, you can uh, call up, where was it, with Miami. You got Kelly Olynyk, player option for next year as well. With Minnesota, you've got uh, Gorgie Jang, who's $16 million this year, $17 million next year. Sacramento, Dwayne Debman wants out in Sacramento. He's made that extraordinarily clear. Now, it's just coincidence that these guys are all the same position as Miami. And yes, the Wizards for next year already have Mo Wagner, Thomas Bryant, and uh, Pasichniks all under contract already. Pasichniks is is non guaranteed until July eighth, so you don't really have to worry about that too much. Um, you've already got your three centers, and yes, Dwayne Deadman's a center, and so Linux a big man, and Jang is a big man, and that's how this stuff works. It's twenty twenty. The guys who are on the big contracts that look like <laughs> overpays are usually big men, and teams that invested too much in them. But you might be able to get a little something out of that. If a team, you know, if Minnesota really wants to get off of Jeng's contract and get off of his money for next year and create some extra flexibility, Mahimi's expiring, and maybe you can get a little second-round pick out of that or something like that. There there are ways that you can make this work. 
Uh, Dwayne Dedman has been a good player in his life. He just hasn't been good for Sacramento this year. And I will contend that while Thomas Bryan is a talented 22-year-old who is a very good offensive player and has very good hands and is still very much learning how to play defense, and Mo Wagner for 21 games before he got hurt was very good for the Wizards, I don't think any of those guys are good enough to where they affect your ability to acquire something that can help you in the future. So if you believe that Dwayne Debman can help you, just go get go get the player you think could be decent. And if you can get a pick out of it or something, go get the pick that you think could potentially help you. And then you worry about putting it all together later. Because if you've got good players and you've got picks, you can make it work. There are worse situations than having too many decent players who can help you and a whole bunch of picks. There are worse things in the world. Like, I don't know, not having those picks and not having good players. So if you can use Mahimi to get somebody, then by all means, I think it makes perfect sense. Corey Joseph might be another guy in Sacramento who 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 you could conceivably want to get off. I mean, Sacramento spent the whole summer trying to justify if, well, we're Sacramento and we're real close. And if we just overpay these guys to come to Sacramento, they're the missing pieces. And they weren't the missing pieces. So if Sacramento... You know, you want to do that. We talk about the point guard stuff. Like, Corey Joseph's a, a good player. Uh, you know, I don't know what the heck would happen next year with Corey Joseph making $12.6 million, which is not ideal. And, uh, you know, he's only a small partial in the last year of his three-year deal. And then you got Ish Smith, who has very much outperformed his two-year $12 million deal, and John Wall coming back. But Corey Joseph can play next to a, can play next to a one. You can find ways to figure it out and make it work. You don't just do these things if you're just getting the player, but if you can get something back, and I'm speaking hypothetically in all these situations, obviously, if you can get something back, you can get a little second round pick out of it. That's that's how you build on the margins. Tommy Shepard has done a really, really good job building on the margins, dating all the way back to when he was just the interim guy last summer, getting Wagner for nothing. Bonga has improved so much. Like He's so much better today than he was in October, got him for legitimately nothing. Bertans got for nothing. All these guys, like even Sadoransky leaves. It's like, okay, you know what? Let's not do an offer sheet. Let's turn this into a sign and trade and let's let's recoup a couple of second round picks out of this thing. And they got a couple of second round picks and they turned it into a trade exception. Just these little small moves, which seem like nothing at the time, but turn into really helpful things when you add them all up. And, and they have an opportunity, potentially, to find one of these things. Now, none of these deals might be open. They might call up Sacramento, and Sacramento's like, no, nah, we don't want to do that. We're not, we, we stink. We're not giving you a second-round pick. In which case, there's nothing you can do. You can't force the other team to make a trade. And, and maybe there's nothing you can do with Mahimi, and none of these things arise because there just aren't that many, you know, big, bulky contracts with, with you know, one or two years left on them. But there, there are some interesting hypotheticals that we can get out of this stuff, and I, I do think it's plausible that Mahimi ends up somewhere else on, on a deal very similar to the one that we're talking about right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, of all the names you just said, Snell is an interesting one to me. You know, he's a decent player, nothing spectacular, probably ideally would be a rotation, you know, a guy coming off the bench rotation player. But when you look ahead to the Wizards for next year, uh, you know, the, I mean, he's a guy right now, you know, sort of in that three and D mold. He's hitting way over 40 percent from three this year, um, but he's only averaging like eight points a game. So sort of on some level like a Bertans before they acquired Bertans. Um, but um, 
but you know, in terms of the Wizards' composition for next year, again, you, like you say, it's not the it's not the sole reason you make any of these moves. But you know, we still don't quite know what they're going to do with the three spot next year, and 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 Snell would make a lot of sense. Whereas, like some of the centers, you know, between Brian and Wagner, it's like, uh, what are we doing here? Same with point guard, I guess. But the small forward is a one where you know, like you know, uh, Troy Brown is interesting, but still needs something else there. So that would be uh, interesting if, if if you could if Detroit is willing to say we want to get rid of his player option. Um, and we'll give you the second round pick to take, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do it for Mahimi. That would be, uh, that would be interesting for sure. But like I said, I mean, and, and as you said, like, I don't, the, the sense I, I get from people around the league is that, you know, uh, the, 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 the wizards are trying to showcase him. That's partly why he's been playing more, uh, lately. And, uh, you know, to Mahimi's credit, he's, he's done a, a decent job, relatively speaking. Oh, he's playing but by that, far um, the best basketball he's ever played with the wizards. Yes, He's been good. Yes, like sure, even sure. if you look at the advanced numbers, like opponents are shooting fifty-two percent on shots he can test at the rim now. It's a really good number. Like he's he's according to, to to those rim protection numbers, he's been one of the best rim protectors in the league this year. Now he goes up against a stretch five. Like when they played against Milwaukee last year, one of the reasons they they were just not good is because Brooke Lopez was or not last year, last week. One of the reasons they were they just struggled so much is because Brooke Lopez was all the way out in the perimeter and like they'd run a pick and pop with Lopez and Mahimi would get far from the rim and it was like, oh no. But Mahimi has been good defending the rim this year. He's not gonna prop up a whole defense to where the whole defense is awesome. But in terms of like he's proven he can he can be a backup center who can who can actually have a positive impact on the game defensively and he had a couple of really nice post moves last night i was like what what is happening here he had a couple of like really nice up and unders and uh he's he's been he's been good for them this year so much better than he's ever been like i think there are capacities in which he could help a good team in the right scenario now i don't know if any of those teams have something to where they would give anything up and like a trade would make sense on both sides because obviously you're not really getting very much value just for the expiring contract because there aren't that many teams desperate to get off, you know, that that size contract right now. But but like I, I think in a you know hypothetical world where the salary cap doesn't exist, there there are teams calling we're like, Yeah, we could use twelve minutes of rim protection and six more fouls. I would take that with a you know, a good locker room guy. By the way, uh this is, I just double-checked with Elias, this is the most positive Jan Mahimi conversation <laughs> since the summer of 2016. <laughs> so, 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 so we got that going on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess one thing, just to sort of, this is exactly this, but let's just say there is no trade, and for whatever the reason, the Wizard just decided to keep Jan Mahimi. He's a nice guy, he has been playing better, and all that. Now, at some point, I would assume Mo Wagner comes back to play. Do we assume at that point, once we get past the trade deadline, that they go to Mahimi and basically say, "Hey, man, we really appreciate it. We'll, you know, we, we, if, we, if we can figure something out to let you go, so be it. But we got to go back to Thomas Bryant playing more minutes when Mo Wagner comes back. He's got to play the rest of the way, and that's probably going to mean you not playing. Is there any scenario that that doesn't happen? Or, well, I mean, I guess there is still the variable of they're only three games out of a playoff spot because the bottom of the East is so horrendous. So I guess I can't dismiss that, but. Um, you think there's any, any any chance of Mahimi gets put back in mothballs if he is still on the team past the trade deadline? Yeah, I do. I don't think they're, you know, the players want to, they're three back in the loss column of the eighth seed. 
Bradley Beal said last night, to paraphrase, that he's very confident they can make it to the playoffs. The players are going to say that. The players are going to believe that. The players are going to fight for that. That's that's what players do. It would be weird, and we would judge them if they didn't. Same thing with the coaches. It would be weird, and we would judge them if they didn't. But as an organization, I mean, they've done a good job prioritizing the future and playing the young guys and all that stuff. It hasn't been what it was last year when, you know, they weren't playing Troy Brown and all these different things. You know, Troy Brown is coming off the bench, yeah, but Troy Brown prefers to come off the bench, and he's still getting minutes. So it's fine. There's no problem in that. He's still playing 25 minutes or whatever it is, and and he wants to come off the bench. And Scott Brooks thinks he's better off the bench, and they're both right. He is better off the bench. So if that's better for his development, then who cares? He's still playing minutes. He's, the young guy, Bonga, is playing a lot and is getting better. And you have to play Wagner, which they will, and you have to play Thomas Bryant. You don't have to play them 30 minutes, but you have to play them very legitimate minutes. Brian is still on the minutes limit now, which is why he's he's not playing, you know, 27. I I am happy to see that he's he's really just playing the five now and and not playing the four next to Mahimi anymore over the last couple of games. And I don't think it's a coincidence that he's been better over these last couple of games when he's just been able to play the five and just be a role man and not hang on the perimeter and all that. But, but they're going to play Brian. Is AP hurt? Wagner. What's the, is AP out or is Brooks not playing him? I, I lost track I think of he's, that. I think he's, he's not, just he's, not he's playing. Actually, I, I, I know, okay. I have no knowledge of any injury. Okay. So, 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 and that of course makes all the logical sense in the world, as we discussed. I mean, the fact that they were playing Thomas Bryant out of position effectively to let AP get play any minutes Look, the kid looks interesting, and that that it just doesn't it didn't make any sense. And by the way, he's another guy who, if you, you know, they sign him to a contract for the rest of the year, that they, they potentially keep him for next year. You want to see what he can do as well. He's done some interesting things, you know. Again, uh, you know, once we get past the trade deadline, Jan Mahimi's value goes straight to zero unless we legitimately are talking about a playoff push because he won't be here next year. But these other three guys will be or could be, so they've got to get priority. Uh, and that includes uh, AP, who you know is a you know deeper deeper guy in the rotation for sure. Right, and and we see that with teams. Like we see that with losing teams all the time. They they play their vets, and then literally the day after the trade deadline, it's like okay, now we now we go young. Like we see that all the time. This is common practice, and it's the way it should be played. You play Mahimi now, uh, and as long as your guys are still getting minutes, you're fine. It's fine if if AP doesn't get tons of minutes the next week. Also, like. He's on a different level than Thomas Bryan and Mo Wagner are. He's intriguing and has surprised a lot of people and has gotten better. No question. But he's on a different level than Mo Wagner is. Mo Wagner, who is legitimately, he was really good for two months before he got hurt. Was, you know, top 10 in the league in efficiency stats and shooting like almost 70% on twos and almost 40% on threes and was really good and was active and plays hard and that's that's different they, they these are different levels that we're talking about uh should we talk about it let's talk about it let's do it so i don't know if they are going to trade him or not if if a deal came across i i bet they would um but i don't i don't really get the sense that you know, the league is watching the same stuff that we are. And I, I think it's plausible that a team could call up 
and be like, you know what? We just need someone who's a backup point guard who can make a bucket. Philly has a million second-round picks, and and they're playing, uh, you know, Trey Burke and Howell Nato. And every once in a while, those guys have have a hot night and things go well. But um, I could I could see Philly maybe being that team. Just and they have a ton of second round picks. Just being like, here's a second rounder, or even a protected second rounder. We could use just some scoring at point guard. And and it's shooting numbers. You know, amidst all the other stuff, his shooting numbers are still good. Like the thing that Jay King made this point on this podcast, and he's totally right. It's amazing how skilled he is. He's so unbelievably skilled. The fact that at his size, with the way that he moves now, that he is still shooting 42% on threes is is amazing. That his effective field goal percentage is still above 50. That's, that's pretty, when he never gets to the line and he doesn't really move, and it's just like he's so skilled with the way that he gets off these shots. It's, it's pretty amazing. And... He has been making shots. He takes some wild shots and and some bad ones, and he, he is not a ball mover, but he makes shots. He's he's making shots at a pretty acceptable and okay rate, and he, he he they just keep going in. You know, he's unbelievably skilled. And if it's gonna happen, if a trade is gonna happen, it's gonna be something like that. This team needs some some scoring pop, or someone who can make shots off the bench. And the rest of the team has such a defensive-minded personality that's okay. They can make up for him playing, you know, X amount of rotation minutes that he would get. And and I think Philly seems like the ideal fit. But that's more the ideal fit for him than the ideal fit for Philly, you know? Like, I'm sure that Philly has other options that they would explore in trying to add, uh, you know, some bench scoring there as well. So I don't know what's going to happen with IT. My guess is he stays put. That's my guess. That's not based on. That's not sources saying they're not going to trade him. I don't. I don't know. Even if I had sources telling me they weren't going to trade him, which I don't, still wouldn't know because I can't predict the future. So I don't know. Uh, but, but that's my guess. My guess is he's gonna he's gonna end up staying put. Yeah, I mean, I would be stunned if he got moved at the deadline. I mean, look, there's always a possibility. Some team says, we'll trade you a uh, 2024 second round pick with 87 protections that will never come true or that will, you know, that that will never happen. And and therefore, it'll really just be here. We'll just take them from you. And, you know, you can pray that one <laughs> that something happens or or, or, or whatever. Um, so that seems unlikely. I mean, you know, like you said, People, talking to people around the league, they're all seeing the same stuff that that, that we are. The lack of defense, and he's just such a, a such a rough fit. He just doesn't adapt to the circumstances. Meaning, you know, he's not going to be the fifth beetle hanging out. Uh, he's gonna if he's going to be in the game, he's going to look to make plays, which is a noble uh, thought process. It's just not realistic if we're talking about contenders who don't need somebody to you know sort of come in and be a force they just need somebody to do do something specific and and granted scoring could be the specific thing but that you know on the as an on the ball player that that provides other challenges and you know again he's been a rough whatever so you know the idea of him being on the team and then you know being moved at the after the deadline be, you know, being released and giving the chance to sign with the team i mean i i, I could see that to me that's the way i would go um if, if you know if we're like we're talking about with mahimi if they just go to mahimi and say hey man Appreciate it, but we're going to have to go with the kids. Mahimi's going to be like, hey, I get it. 
whatever we need to do for the team. He'll be, you don't want to play, but he's not going to raise a ruckus. He didn't play much at the end of last year. You know, he's been through that. Okay. I don't know if we, I think we've all kind of said, I don't know if we see the same thing happening with Isaiah Thomas as, you know, Hey, we, uh, you know, we, we need to get some of our younger guys in there. We want to give Troy Brown more work at point guard. Uh, is Isaiah going to just be able to go sit in the corner and, and, and be cool with that? I, I think part of the reason we think he starts, he starts Isaiah over Ish Smith, who's been the better player is because potentially more issues in bringing Isaiah off the bench than not. So, you know, uh, don't want to say he wouldn't be a good soldier, but I, I don't necessarily know that's a lock. And to me, if you can't move him, I, you know, I, I'm releasing him after the uh, after the um, trade deadline. And again, with the idea of either, you know, adding an, uh, some sort of Chris Chioza type guy to fill in the minutes or or just say Troy Brown, hey, 20 minutes, you know, 15, you know, 15 minutes a game. You're playing real minutes at point guard with next to Beal or whatever. And we want to see that. I think that's a worthy way to go as well. Um, again, it's a little bit weird because of this whole are they in the playoff race? Are they not? I mean, give the Wizards credit. Uh, for you know, for for being basically a 500 team for the last month or so, I think, and 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 again, the East. Wow, I just looked at the standings last night. Unbelievable how horrible the 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 thing is after the top six teams. <laughs> really, just appalling how bad how bad some of these records are. But you know, that's not the Wizards' problem that they're they're in it. But again, I don't even think Isaiah Thomas is a, is a huge help on that front. But um, you know, that that I think that would be the t- the, t- the toughest part. Do they actually think the playoffs are there for them? And therefore, they want to make some choices, um, even on the minor end, to, towards that front. Again, I, I mean, Mahimi is one thing I'd move off of Isaiah if you can't move him, which, again, I just would be surprised if they could do that at the deadline. All right. Positive Isaiah Thomas thing. There's sure. so much negati- negativity about Isaiah Thomas in wizard circles. You know, I read Wizards Reddit, and it's like just all this negative stuff about Isaiah Thomas. You see, was you get my check my Twitter mentions every time I write about him or my comments and my stories, and everyone's trying to cancel Isaiah Thomas. So I'm going to tell a positive Isaiah Thomas thing. One of my favorite things, and this doesn't have to do with basketball, but I feel like with all the Kobe stuff, especially in the last week, it's really important because a lot of people don't think of these guys as people, as human beings. One of my favorite things this year, if he weren't here. You know, after the deadline, something I would genuinely miss. I have come to love watching him interact with his kids. I have never covered a player whose kids are more present on the team than Isaiah's. It is amazing. They're in the locker room every game. He gets to the arena early and watches his, he has three kids. He has a a daughter who's like really, really young, an infant. Um, I don't even know if she's one yet. Maybe she just turned one. And he's got a nine-year-old boy and a seven-year-old boy. And both of his kids just love basketball. Both of his sons love basketball. And so he gets there early. So his sons can play one-on-one against each other at, you know, the Capital One court. And uh, they're they're always in the locker room pregame. Last night, his seven-year-old just sat on the bench with him during the game. I've never seen a player's kid just sit with him during a game. And he just sat next to him. He was bringing towels to the guys on the bench. He was, you know, high-fiving Jan Mahimi when he came out of the game. It was so pure. And, like, it was it was wonderful to watch uh, this seven-year-old kid having the time of his life sitting on the bench. I had never seen. Maybe. I'm sure it's happened before. Maybe it's happened before. I've never seen it. A player's kid just sitting there on the bench. 
And he was having the time of his life. And Isaiah, every time he was out of the game, was just sitting next to his kid, talking to his kid, interacting with his kid. He is He's such a dedicated dad. And he goes so out of his way to include his kids in every aspect of his life. People should know that. Like, I think, I think that is such a, it's so heartwarming to watch, especially in the last week when, you know, we talk so much about, you know, Kobe as a father. I feel like I've seen as much stuff about Kobe as a father as I have about Kobe as a basketball player. And um, it, it was just, it was so cool last night watching, watching Isaiah's kids sit there on the bench and interact with all the players and Isaiah just be, just be so into it the whole time. I loved it, and and I think that's a thing that people have to should pay attention to with him too. That's all. It's not a commentary on him as a basketball player, but um, I thought the world should know that because I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, he, you look I, I, obviously part of what the Isaiah Thomas story that's so fascinating is all that he's gone through in the last few years. We obviously remember. You know, losing his sister, the injury, the Celtics not getting paid, fight, you know, battling back through injuries the last couple of years, even just the fact of getting into the league and, and, you know, having to prove over and over and over again that a guy his size could play. So it's a very compelling story and all, and, and all that. And yes, I mean, he seems like a, a decent enough guy um, when I when I've interacted with him for sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to the guy. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, um there's the, the the basketball side of things as well, obviously. Well, yeah, that doesn't impact uh, what you do at the trade deadline, but it you know part of our job is to tell the whole story. Like we're we're covering people, right? We're not we're right. not well, just covering well, basketball machines. We're covering people, and 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 I think that is a part of Isaiah Thomas's story. It's part of what what makes him up as a person. It's a, it's a massive part of his character, and I think it's a it's a wonderful character trait. And that's why, like, with, with a guy like Mahimi, who literally, we always say somebody is the nicest person. Like, that guy is the nicest person. I mean, he is always in a good mood. He has a lot. I mean, yes, I know he's gotten paid $64 million or will be when this contract is over. And nobody's going to feel sorry for him or blah, 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 blah. But there's lots of reasons, you know, he could be sort of frustrated or with the situation. And he could never. He's always a nice guy. Um, even, you know, when, when his team has been pulling off some wins and he wasn't part of it, he was always upbeat early in the year about what you know what was happening this team was uh, you know overachieving to some degree and and whatever but yes you, you mentioned Mahimi everybody just <laughs> wants to pile on and I get it for basketball reasons but yeah as a, as a, as a person he's always he's nothing he's nothing been he's never been nothing but a nice guy and and helpful when when, when called upon by by us so uh yes yeah, so that's that thing that's kind of what you're talking about that um you know we we talk about these guys as they're just pieces on the chessboard, but there is an actual uh, beating heart in there uh, with all these guys. You know who I could see being desirable to another team in the right situation? Again, this is another situation where it's like, no, nah, this guy's not going to be their first choice, but wouldn't shock me if I saw something here. Um, Jordan McRae. I could see that. He's on a minimum deal. He's a free agent after this year. Now, the Wizards are, like, really proud of their guys who they bring up through the G League, and Jordan McRae is obviously one of them. But McRae has scored well this year. He, again, another good locker room guy, well-liked teammate, will fit in well with the team from a personality perspective because I feel like he's, you know, best friends with somebody on every other team. Um, Scores well, has been a really good jump shooter this year. Got into the rim pretty well. 
I could see a team that could use, you know, we talk about a team that could use some instant offense off the bench. I could see a team calling the Wizards saying, like, hey, he's a minimum guy, last year of his contract, unrestricted free agent this summer. I I don't know where he's going to end up this summer. I think he's proven he's an NBA player at this point. I think he's going to end up with some NBA team, but he's an unrestricted free agent this summer. If somebody makes an offer of a second-round pick for Jordan McRae, maybe you take that. Maybe that's something you end up doing. You know, he's the difference is I don't think they're going to trade any of their young guys. I just don't envision a trade that makes sense. They're not going to give up any of they're not doing like an Andre Drummond trade. And and they're not going to part with normally if you part with a young guy, you get another type of player coming, right? Like you very rarely see a deal where it's just like one 21-year-old traded for another 21-year-old, and that's the trade, right? Where it's just a bet of my guy, I think your guy is better than my guy, and I and you think my guy is better than your guy, so we're just going to swap them. It's so rare that you see that. You see the young guy traded for the old guy, or you see the old guy traded for the pick, or whatever it is, you know? Uh, and so I, I just, the Wizards like their young guys. They like Bonga. They like Troy Brown. They like Wagner. I, I, I don't see them trading those guys you know they're on the rookie deals like that's that's not going to happen in any sort of realistic world that's not happening but Jordan McRae is 28 years old he seems young because he's just kind of having his his come up now but he's 28 years old and he's unrestricted next year and when you're on a 17 and 31 team and you're an upcoming unrestricted free agent and you're just on a minimum deal and you're out producing your deal which Jordan McRae is most certainly doing then um there's always a possibility that somebody calls up and says, we could use some scoring. This guy has become a pretty good player. Uh, you know, what do you have in mind? And, and I think, I think that's a, that's a plausible, you know, I'm not predicting any of these things will happen. It's just that I'm, I'm throwing out plausible scenarios of things that like, if they happen, I wouldn't be shocked. And that, that's kind of, that's kind of one of them. Well, and to, to, to the McCray point, I remember last year during the NBA Finals when Golden State had their horrific run of injuries, and you were just like, wow, like it went from they're going to be contending to win the title to, wait, <laughs> do they have like a real team out there beyond Curry and Draymond Green? Like, what's going on? And like, part of it was they literally just didn't have anybody who could score. And I remember thinking, like, boy, Jordan McRae would be looking good for them right now. He'd be playing real minutes because whatever else you want to say about him, the guy can get buckets. And ultimately, you know, we, we all make a big deal, try to you know, show how smart we are about, the, about basketball. It ultimately comes down to score outscoring the other team. And you have to have guys that can do that. And he can do that without needing, you know, six screens or, or, or you know, eight passes to get him open. He can get his own. So to that extent, yes. But also, you know, for NBA teams – you know, the, the the top eight to ten guys on the roster are the important players, the, the, you know, the ones you give the real money to and, and, and you know, all that. But beyond that, the last five guys to me are always guys that, that they should be. What's the one specific thing that this person can do at a pretty good level? Uh, thir- having a third point guard to me is always solid. Somebody could run the offense. A rim protector makes sense. The guy who can come in and just drain a three. And scoring is one of those things. And Jordan McRae, again, regardless of his other skill sets, that dude can get buckets. So, yeah, I-, I could hypothetically see that. But, you know, ultimately, you know, there's – I won't say there's lots of guys like that, but, you know, th- that's uh, – you know, th- th- there's probably a, a, a long list of other players out there who can, you know, get some points, but also do maybe some other things and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, for sure. I mean, Jordan McCray to me would be somebody that I would have some interest in. 
Um, you know, am I giving up a second round pick? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I guess that's all there is in the NBA. But, uh, you know, if you look, if you're a legit contender and you think, you know, it's like a team like the Lakers, you know, I think they need some more wing depth. They, they could use some more scoring off the bench. I'm not saying they could. They, they're purely aiming higher than Jordan McRae. But if you're whiffing and you're getting to the end and this is what's left, you know, that, that's the kind of guy that I think would make sense for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, he's he's 44 percent on twos, which is a little low. Because I he he takes a few too many mid range shots I think even though he's a pretty good mid range shooter for his career uh, but he's forty four percent on twos which is a little low he's thirty eight percent on threes uh, and he's doing this on twenty five percent usage uh, he can get off his own shot from pretty much anywhere pretty good getting to the rim twenty six twenty seven percent free throw rate which is a good number for you know a bench scorer he's he's you know he's he could be like a Lou Williams light for somebody. And, 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 you know, light in all caps, but Lou Williams light, that that role, you know, not that caliber because Lou Williams is maybe literally the best to ever do that role, but that kind of guy, you know, and and I could I could see that happening. There are certain things he's got to get better at. Part of the reason that the efficiency is down is because there was that time when all those guys were hurt. And he had to be the lead ball handler and like the lead scorer and was taking 20 plus shots a game. And in an ideal Jordan McRae situation, that's not happening with Jordan McRae in your first unit, you know? He's doing that in your second unit 12 minutes, and that's it. Then you're fine. So I think that efficiency will go up. He's 52% true shooting right now and like 48% effective field goal percentage. I bet you that goes up a few percentage points uh, if he's in an ideal situation coming off the bench, only having to do that off the bench for for 12 minutes or so against second unit guys, as opposed to that stretch where he was taking 24 shots some nights and going nine for 24 and bringing stuff down. So I, I think Jordan McRae could could legitimately help a team. And I think there are people out there who look at him and they're like, yeah, that's that's intriguing. He's there's There's something there, but I agree with you. It's not a thing where like on Sunday, teams are calling and being like, all right, we got to get Jordan McRae. It's, all right, we struck out on this guy. We struck out on this guy. We struck out on this guy. It's Thursday. We got to do something to make us better. Screw it. Let's call it the Wizards. Let's see what they're willing to do for Jordan McRae. And, and and that's when it becomes the possibility. But I do think the Wizards would, they wouldn't feel good about it. They really like Jordan McRae. I, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw him back in Washington next year. They They really like him. He's really close with Bradley Beal. They're really proud of all the guys who did stuff on their G League team and then ended up, you know, making an imprint on the actual NBA roster, whether that's, you know, Troy Brown or, um, you know, Pasichniks or, um, you know, other guys, uh, other guys who've, who've come from the G League and, and, and really made some kind of impact. I'm sure they will feel the way of Ad- that way if Admiral Schofield cracks the rotation in future years. That's just what they're like. Uh, Garrison Matthews, who is who's now back and played with the G League last year or last night. So so they they like Jordan McRae and they're very proud of the way that he came up. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if uh if he stuck around not just this year but if they re-signed him this summer too. There's this this is what the trade deadline is. Stuff changes every two seconds, and like it's like, yeah, Jordan McRae could go, but Jordan McRae could also stay, and Jordan McRae could also resign this summer. It's the beauty of not knowing. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, most of the things that we're talking about that people will talk about involve, hey, this team needs three-point shooting, this team needs a score, dump some money, whatever. Think one thing that will not get discussed as much is the idea of a locker room chemistry and having positive vibes there, and Jordan McRae definitely gives that. Uh, people, he, you know, for especially even like last year, a guy wasn't playing much, bounced around. His, you know, my perception of his popularity in the in the locker room was certainly outkicked the the production, and I think that's continued. People like him; he's a funny guy, and uh, you know, I, I think there is value to that. You know, there, there were definitely players through Michael Jordan and LeBron's career who were end of the bench guys simply because it felt like they were fans of the, the, some one of the one of the top players was a fan of that guy. So I'm not saying Jordan McRae would just be given the role because Bradley Beal thinks he's his pal. But, I mean, there is something to be said for having some positive vibes around to help everybody, including uh, your, your your best uh, your best players. We got anything else here? Well, I guess the only thing just to sort of for me and, and to sort of round out this trade stuff is we're, we're kind of viewing it, especially in the case of Bertons, like uh, – we're we're assuming that the Wizards need to be blown away by somebody else to make a, to to make a move that they're not going to be p- aggressively looking to do anything with him. So maybe just let's spin that the other way. You know, again, I understand why they would want to keep him and 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 all that. But once you sign him to that contract, he is no a you know, fifteen million dollar or, or more year contract. There's no longer value there. He's just now a very good player who costs a lot of money, and you're locked in with your with your group, which is why I think exploring options makes sense. And the other thing is like what 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 is that doing for you? What what is a Wall Beal, Burton, Hachimura lottery pick? You know what what where is that putting you in the East next year? Now I'm not saying that making a deal for Kevin Love puts the Wizards into contention for the East. I'm not even saying it's definitively the right move considering Kevin Love. What's he got after that? He's making like 28 million a year, and he's got like what three or two years left after this three. season. He signed the extension. Three left. So, okay, so so that's a big. It's a huge number, and it would you know really. Jam you up I'll get, I'll get the exact numbers in uh, in one second. So Kevin Love sure. is uh, this year he's twenty eight nine. Next year he's thirty one three. The year after that he's thirty one three, and the year after that he's twenty eight nine again. So I mean, obviously Kevin Love is a guy who's you know been an all star level player. You know, it's hard to I, I admit have not watched a ton of Cleveland this year because I have better things to do in my life, <laughs> but. Uh, but, like, you know, he he's not the player he once was. He's never been much of a rim protector. But if we're going to say that, that Bertans would benefit playing um, with 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 uh, Wall, I can only imagine what Kevin Love might be able to do. He's still a 37 38% three-point shooter and, and so on and so on. And if you add Kevin Love to the Wizards, from a perception standpoint, that would be a pretty interesting three. John Wall, Bradley Beal. And Kevin Love, I would imagine a Bradley Beal that gives him maybe not the warm fuzzies, but that would probably make him feel a little bit better about where things are going because you just added a guy, you're, you're making an aggressive move. And if you're a Cleveland, I don't know exactly their thought process, but like, you know, if the Wizards are saying, we'll give you Bertans, Bryant, and Mahimi's money, you know, is that the, is that a bad way for, for, for Cleveland? Probably not. You're getting rid of. You're getting rid of Kevin Love if you intend to, you know, you can try to sign Bertans, obviously, and you get Thomas Bryant and so on and so on. So, like, I, I guess my, I, I totally wouldn't, prob- I probably wouldn't make the deal if it were me, but knowing where the Wizards are at, you have to appease Bradley Beal to some degree to keep him excited and engaged. And if you're going to have John Wall, what's the point of having just John Wall, Bradley Beal, and then like some other stuff? And no offense to Bertans, he's kind of other stuff. 
he's not an all-star level player. Again, maybe Kevin Love isn't totally, but maybe he is if re-inspired playing with, with these kinds of guys. So I guess, you know, I think the Wizards, I understand why it would kind of make sense to me that they should consider it based on what Ted Leonsis has, has looked to do in the past. I'm not saying I would, but I think that's something to me I think should be de- considered by them based on what they're already going to have on the team. I would not do that Kevin Love trade. I'll tell you that much. I don't want to pay Kevin Love that money. Also, Kevin Love has been so disgruntled in Cleveland where he chose to resign and has been so disgruntled by them being bad. I would be a little scared off of like, well, I don't want to trade for this disgruntled guy because there's a chance that we might not be good either if I were the Wizards, you know, and now all of a sudden I'm the one who has to deal with this guy on this massive deal. And now he hasn't worked out in two places. And now I don't know what in the world I can get with him if he, if he wants a trade. Like To me, if you're overpaid, the way to the best way to ensure that you get traded is to do what Chris Paul is doing. Just go out there, be a good locker room guy, and ball out. Mentor the young guys, take care of everything, and have a killer year. I also think from a basketball perspective that Kevin Love is the modern-day tweener. We used to talk about tweeners as, are they a three, are they a four, are they a wing, are they a power forward? What is this guy? Um, now, now tweener is the opposite. Now it's, are you a four or are you a five? Markeith Morris is a tweener to me. Kevin Love to me is now a tweener. It's like, I don't want that guy at the five anchoring my defense. And I don't really want him on the perimeter guarding playmaking fours either. It just becomes this difficult type of player to hash out in the modern game. Now, he's obviously still a good player. If he were a free agent, I can give him $12 million a year. I would very happily take that. But if we're talking about him versus Bertans, you know, you talked about part of Bertans' value is that he makes $7 million this year. And if he makes twice that, if he makes $14 million, let's say, next year, then that hurts the value because he's making twice as much. Well, I would rather have Bertans for 14 than Kevin Love for twice that. I, I would just, that that to me is like, I would much rather have that just because he is, he makes more sense to me as somebody on the team and you don't have to pay all of this unbelievable amount of money and you know for sure he's going to be fine from a personality perspective too. There's no risk there from a personal one. So I would not do Kevin Love. I would not, or at least I would not trade Bertans for Kevin Love. And I think a lot of people agree with me, which is why Kevin Love is still on the Cavaliers. Uh, right. But so, but so just to be clear, like I'm not saying I would do that. I'm saying if I'm the wizards and I have John Wall and Bradley Beal, even if I keep Bertans, I mean, I don't quite know what that's doing for me for the reasons that we discussed. Kevin Love causes a different type of issue, like you said, but you know, and look, I mean, I, I don't. Again, I haven't. I haven't been paying that close attention to everything going on in Cleveland, and I'm with you on the disgruntled part. But that Cleveland situation is a mess, and you know, there's other. Uh, we've heard other things, other reports from our team at the Athletic about people being frustrated with John Beeline and things like that. So I don't know where Kevin Love falls into that. But again, it's not what I would think. I'm saying if I'm the Wizards and I'm going to have John Wall and I'm going to have Bradley Beal. Like, what am I doing? If I, th- this is this is my issue with sort of the Bertans thing. I don't think signing him is even necessarily putting me in the playoffs next year, which if you're going to have John Wall and Beal, well, then what are we doing? I don't think Bradley Beal is going to be willing to accept another year where you're not really contending. So, again, I'm not saying Kevin Love is all that. I'm not saying I would do this. But if I'm the Wizards, 
if you're going to have this, if you're sort of putting up the show, we're going to sort of look to be better. I, I just think that somebody like Kevin Love, and you could make the same argument with Drummond. It's a different deal because of the um, he's a, he becomes an unrestricted free agent, and you'd have to bird rights or blah blah blah, whatever else is going on there. And I don't know if he's a great fit with Wall and Beal, but like I, I just can imagine Ted Leones is making that sort of half measure type or, or being behind some sort of a half measure type move where you're fronting, you're doing better. And maybe to some degree you are, but it isn't all the way. And, you know, again, it, it's one of the problems with this whole wizard situation. No matter what we want to discuss, they can, they can't go all the way down to a rebuild because of John Wall's contract. They can trade Bradley Beal for all kinds of stuff. You can move on from Bertans. You can try to set yourself up. And John Wall still has three years left on a huge contract that's going nowhere, which is never going to allow you to fully bottom out. And that's what makes it such a wacky uh, situation and why, again, I'm not saying I would make the deal, but I wouldn't. It, to me, I mean, if I'm the Wizards, I would at least think to myself, well, wait, what does Kevin love? Or there could be somebody else out there. I don't mean to just single him out. He's just the obvious guy. I know that in theory he's on the move or could be on the move. Um, th- that's all I'm saying. Like, if you're going to have this weird hodgepodge team, I mean, what are we doing here? Also, just want to add, should have said this probably in the first hour of the podcast that we did. If you're listening to this and you don't realize this and you hear all the noise on the internet about, well, the Wizards are going to trade Bradley Beal or they should trade Bradley Beal or whatever, they are literally not allowed to trade Bradley Beal. It is against the rules. He extended in October, which means they are not allowed to trade him until six months after he signs the extension. They are not allowed to trade Bradley Beal until this season is over. So... Not even going to – then they don't want to trade Bradley Beal. Even if they were to, to, able to trade Bradley Beal, they still wouldn't trade Bradley Beal because he's got two and a half years left on his contract. And he just signaled to them in the most obvious way that you could by signing a contract extension that he doesn't want out. So they are not going to trade Bradley Beal because they are not allowed to. And even if they were, they don't want to. That's all. It's just I see this this stuff everywhere. They should trade Bradley Beal. Sorry, sorry. I should I should. That's just not how this works. It's not. It's not how this works. The, the, In related news, I think I think Mila Kunis should divorce Ashley Kutcher and call me up. <laughs> just for the record, I I I we should start that. But there's all this crap about transaction stuff. It's like. God, let's let's not just chase everything into transactions. Like, God, it kills me when people like leading into a Bucks game. It's like all they talk about is where's Giannis going to go in twenty twenty one. This team is forty one and six. Let's talk about how unbelievable this team is. You know the reason people don't think that Chris Middleton's an all star, or the people people don't realize like how much of an all star Chris Middleton is. It's because. No one talks about Chris Middleton. They talk about Giannis, and then they talk about Giannis's free agency, and then they stop there. It's like, let's channel some of that energy into talking about how unbelievable Chris Middleton's been this year. Why don't we talk about that? And, yeah, no, look, I mean— the and, tra- and with Beal, it's the same thing. It's like Beal right now, six straight games of 30-plus points or 34-plus points. He's, he's averaging almost 40 a game over his last six games and is shooting extremely well. He's gotten to the free throw line 64 times over his last four games. Let's talk about that with Bradley Beal. Let's the all-star drama was fun. His 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 fiance going on the 
the radio, Kamaya, going on the radio and and naming his stats to the decimal was fantastic. It was great. And that stuff is fun. That's not what I'm talking about. That's just like fun fodder that's good for 24 hours and then it goes out. I'm talking about the constant, like, well, Bill's good. Wonder where he's going to go. It's like, no, let's let's talk about Bradley Bill having a really good season instead. By the way, can we, before we go, we I haven't podcasted since they announced Beal not making All-Star. Can we chat about this for a minute? Or you, you not have time? Uh, go for it. Were you surprised he didn't make it? I was surprised like 10 days prior when I started to see people like John Hollinger and Zach Lowe and others not have him on the team. And that was that sort of the uh, sort of a lull period for Beal where he you know, was coming off some of the injuries. He, you know, he hadn't been putting up sort of these insane uh, numbers that he's put up now for the last six or seven games. So I wasn't surprised once we got to the actual result because of that. I'd already been like sort of been warned like, oh, there's a lot of people out there questioning this. I think my only thing with this is, look, it, you know, it always plays the game of if you're going to say Beal should be, be in, who else would you take off? And that's a tougher, it's a much tougher question. I could maybe quibble Kyle Lowry, but, you know, he's on a much better team that just won the title last year. I know that has nothing to do with this year, but that's just, you know, be preposterous to pretend that to, to that everybody's ignoring that and, you know, whatever, bam, out of bio or whatever. But um, – the, the issue that when people were saying that Bradley Beal doesn't basically shouldn't be getting in because the Wizards stink, that I find beyond ridiculous. It's not Bradley Beal's fault that the Wizards have assembled together a roster that was not poised to be close. It's not his fault that John Walls is fighting through an Achilles injury. And also, by the way, the Wizards have overachieved this year. <laughs> this is not a team that's gone si- that's gone sideways or downhill. They are trending higher than most people would have assumed. That I mean, regardless of why, that they're three games out of a playoff spot is preposterous when looking at this team and then factoring in all the injuries that have occurred. So that that particular angle that that, that he's on a team with a bad record is beyond stupid. And uh, that 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 that's the one thing that sort of drew, you know made me um, uh, annoyed. Also, I just also the defense. I mean, come on, like I get the numbers are bad. What's he supposed to do? This whole team stinks. I mean, he's he, he's not. It's not like he, it's not like he's playing with stout defenders, and he's a clear weak link. He's playing with a bunch of guys who aren't very good, while simultaneously has to be the go, the go to guy on the other end of the court. He certainly could do better. You mentioned earlier, maybe his this effort is waning, or, or you know, could have flows in and out depending on how the rest of the team is performing. But I mean, Bradley Beal can defend. This team can't defend, and he's going down accordingly. So. I wasn't surprised he wasn't on the team. I thought some of the reasons, the rationale people were trying to supply were kind of kind of nonsense. Yeah, I agree with you that that team record really shouldn't get into it. I never care about that stuff. He made it last year, by the way, when the Wizards were well under 500. So I don't know if it's just the record stuff. I do think the defense applies. I mean, you look down, I wrote before the announcement was made on Thursday, you can go check out this story I wrote for Thursday morning that just about the defensive issues the Wizards have had. And, you know, if you go by defensive real plus minus, which is ESPN's kind of all-encompassing stat, which is far from perfect and I don't always like to use, but when something is this drastic, it's worth it because it paints a picture. Out of 471 players in the NBA who qualify for a defensive real plus minus this year, Bradley Beal was ranked 471st at the time I wrote that article a few days ago. 
he has really struggled. And I, I wrote about that in that section. And I showed examples of how and why, where he just kind of stands in mud often defensively. A lot of it is effort-based, for sure, and and is fixable. And I bet you he wouldn't be doing if instead of being 17 and 31, the Wizards were 31 and 17. By the way, last night, Bradley Beal played defense. He was trying on defense. He was trying off the ball more. It was one of the better defensive games I remember him playing so far this year. He was... He was pretty solid defensively. So maybe that upticks. Maybe this was a little bit of a wake-up call for him in that sense. I thought he should have been on there, even given the defense. I would have had him on my reserves. And by the way, I'm a big believer of if you put somebody on, you got to take somebody off. I didn't have, when I when I went out and I, I did my, my reserves, which I never wrote. I just did them for fun uh, the day of. I didn't have Tatum on mine. I would have had him over over Jason Tatum. I think he's been better than Tatum so far this year, even though Tatum is like, he's had an all-star caliber season. I would have had Jalen Brown over Tatum, to be honest. Uh, I I think Jalen Brown has been awesome this year, and I think he's a smudging better defensively than, than Tatum is, which kind of would have had me throw him on there. Uh, but I think Beal deserved it. He, You can talk about the defense all you want, but you look at this offense, and you look at the talent on this offense, and people are like, how the hell are the Wizards still in the top half of the league in offensive efficiency? And look, man, they, they were able to score on some fluky stuff when Beal wasn't there. Mahimi going for 25. It's not like, you know, Garrison Matthews going for 28, that Heat game, that Denver game, all that stuff. Jordan McRae going off. But, like, they didn't play better because Beal wasn't there. You know, like, it's not like Yamahimi went for 25 and my reaction to that was, oh man, maybe Beal's just been holding Mahimi back. <laughs> no, he just <laughs> happened to go for 25 that night. Bradley Beal is is not the head of this offense. He's the head. He's the neck. He's the shoulder. He's the arms. He's the armpit. He's the torso. He's the pelvis. He is everything on this offense. And the fact that he has taken an offense that we all thought was sh- for sure I thought I was a little higher on them than the average person. I figured they'd be around 15. But before the injuries and stuff, they were top five. They're still top 10, even after all the injuries. And Bradley Beal is a massive, massive part of that. Uh, I know the percentages are down. The efficiency is down from what it was last year. But it's not bad. And especially if you look at this current stretch that he's on right now, with all the free throws... You know, I haven't checked after last game. Let's look this up. I bet you his shoot, true shooting percentage after this stretch, because of the amount he's been getting to the line, I bet you his true shooting percentage is, uh, so it is it. I bet you it's higher than it was. It's 58% compared to 58% last year. I mean, he's, he's, he's still gotten above league average efficiency. He's got by far the highest free throw rate of his career right now. The three-point shooting is down. But the dude is averaging like 29 a game and has and is is doing it. He's not playing winning basketball and that it's turning into wins. But he is playing winning basketball. And I think it's extremely obvious that his offense has been very good for his team. His offense is making his team's offense much better. And in that sense, these are not empty points. Now he's given a lot back on the other end. But I would but like, throw him I mean, on the but, team. 
Yeah, I mean, but like, and like I said, this is this is probably me making somewhat of an excuse, and I don't mean to. I mean, you got to play defense, all that. But like, we 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 figured out early on this season, the Wizards were going to win games by outscoring people. So, to what extent does it matter if Bradley Beal exerts himself extremely hard defensively, the way he would probably under normal circumstances, when the team collectively still would stink? I could argue from a strategic standpoint. By and look, there's extremes, and we, we we've all talked about the James Harden and those clips of him literally just walking up the court um, and, and not guarding anybody. But like at the same point, like what what's the upside with Bradley Beal playing really hard defense if it takes away some energy from the end of the court where the Wizards need him to be a plus to in order to have a chance to win? So like again, I'm not arguing. I mean, this is all somewhat of a, of, a, of a you know it's all fun argument with the All Star, but just from a logic standpoint. I think the, I, I could definitely make the case that Bradley Beal should bail on playing defense in any real nominal way when for most of, you know, but for the first 43 minutes of the game when it doesn't matter because the rest of the team can't play any defense anyway. So they're going to give up 120-130 a night no matter what happens. So, you know, good, okay, fine. Maximize yourself on the other end of the court and obviously take advantages of certain plays when you can. In the last five minutes, buckle up. you got to guard, you know, Ben Simmons or uh, – you know, who, whoever the, whoever the guy is, you, that's, that's up to you. Yeah. All that said, by the way, I wasn't shocked. He didn't make it. A lot of people thought that he wasn't going to be there. Um, not enough. I, I thought he would make it, but I wasn't shocked just because of the defense and the losing record. That stuff happens, but I thought he was. And also I think I even wrote and also that like I thought, the- that he was. I just assumed that the guy's got the track record and he's averaging a lot of points and, you know, coaches are used to game planning for him. So there it is. And I think also when you look at the calendar, a lot of this has to do with it, you know, at the exact moment that the people were voting is right before this current six or seven, before the six or seven game hot streak started that he was, you know, not having some particularly interesting games. And when you do just, you know, the other factor here is you and I are covering the wizards, you know, all the time, this is the team we think about, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, national writers, no matter how dedicated they are, are focusing on 30 teams. And typically a team with the wizard situation is going to be one you focus on least or, or, you know, far less than you would some of these other teams. So then you just fall back on statistics. And obviously some of those defensive numbers on Beal are pretty terrible combined with the record. If you don't want to think, wait, are the Wizards actually overachieving, which they are, versus eh, they only have 13 wins, 14 wins, Nah, that's not that exciting to me. That, that, that's certainly a huge part of what happens here. I mean, I feel like, you know, Devin Booker on some level the same way, not, not arguing he should or shouldn't get in, but like, you know, the, typically I, I think that's ultimately what happens in so many of these scenarios. Nobody wants to just flat out admit it, but you know, the 30,000 foot vote is, is tough on people who play on bad teams that you're not watching with somewhat regularity, especially if certain numbers kind of look uh, suspicious. Well, if you don't want to argue it, I'll argue it. Devin Booker should have gotten in. Russell Westbrook should not have gotten in. What a weird thing that Russell Westbrook got in. Coaches have been leaving him open all year. The same coaches who have been leaving him open all year, according to their game plans, have decided this guy's shooting 27, 23% from three. We don't need to guard him. And the same coaches who have been doing that all year then voted for him as an all-star. Just weird just unbelievably he's been hot lately obviously but like so what you've been leaving him open all year and now you don't vote for him it's kind of the exact op or now you do vote for him it's kind of the exact opposite of um beal right 
where coaches have been sending their entire defenses at him, and then they don't vote for him. And with Westbrook, it's the exact opposite. They've left him open, and, and then they vote for him. Very weird. Weird stuff. Uh, yeah. Wet, wacky, Zany. It, 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 feel, it didn't feel in general. This was a particular... Uh, you know, again, I, I always make this cat, cat caveat for the last couple of weeks when I've come on your podcast because I've been dealing with other stuff that I have not been as like NBA heavy focus as I would be normally. But when I'm looking at like the All Star teams, I'm like, really, that guy's on the team? I'm not, I'm not even arguing that he should or shouldn't be, but it it feels like this was like a like, kind of like a transition year. And I guess also, look, there's no just around the league. There's no Durant. There's no Curry. Um, you know, no John Wall. A lot of guys who would be, you know, no Victor Oladipo. I'm sure there's other ones I'm just not thinking about. Um, you know, you know, even maybe on some level, a guy like Paul George who has the numbers but didn't make it because he missed a, a chunk of time earlier in the year, I presume, was his issue. Um, it just felt like yeah, kind of a weird – like uh, some of these guys, I'm like, really? This is the all-star? This is the all-star team? And I think that's also kind of what, for me, made it so kind of disheartening that Beal didn't get on because I look at it like he is a guy who should be viewed as a legitimate um, – you know, you know, but there's, there's the different levels of players. He's not on the LeBron, uh, Giannis level, but you know, he, he's pretty high up there. And it doesn't mean by rote he gets in, but when you're putting up the the numbers he is on the team that's again has done a little bit better than expectation despite the bad record, it feels like that should be like John Wall was getting was still getting in. I don't want to say solely on reputation, but whatever numbers he was putting up allowed his reputation to just take over and Beal. I think ultimately, I think we kind of saw it doesn't have it with the coaches, at least. And that, to me, was the, the most disheartening point about that, because some of these picks were, huh, OK, that guy made it. All right. Well, OK. Anything else? Or I think it's the um, longest pod we've ever done together. Well, you know, it's, uh, you know, f- finding, our, you know, we, we put in a lot of work, you know. Yeah, this is when you got to fight through it. You know, you're way past the beginning of the season, but the but the end of the year is not is not in view yet. This is when it you know it's really important to to grind it out to be gritty. So going along, you know, it's good, it's good for us. There we go. Well, I hope that we quenched everybody's trade deadline thirst for trade deadline stuff because there's a lot of talking, and now my mouth's dry, and I could use some some water right now. So I'm going to drink that before I do. I'm going to tell all of you that if you enjoyed this, you should go on iTunes and you should write a review and a positive review and give us five stars over on the Wizards After Dark page on iTunes. You can sign up for The Athletic if you are only a subscriber to this podcast. You only get the free episodes. I usually do one episode behind the paywall a week. And even if you don't want to do it just for the one extra pay, uh, the one extra behind the paywall episode, you can sign up and get all of my articles and all of David Aldridge's articles and everything else. Look out on The Athletic if you are a subscriber uh, for some stories this week. And if you're not, you can sign up for 40% off at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. 40% off at theathletic.com slash Wizards After Dark. That's on an annual subscription. I'm going to have on Monday, I'm going to have a John Wall story that's going to be up. And... uh, I am excited for it. I think it is pretty good, and I think it'll be worth reading. On Tuesday, I'll have a story out there talking trade deadline stuff, which if you like this, you might like that story too. And uh, then we got trade deadline week. I'm sure some other things will arise that will be worth writing on, uh, which we don't even know about yet. So I'm sure that'll be out there, so you can check that out over at The Athletic all week. And uh, even beyond that, tell your friends about Wizards After Dark. 
That'd be nice. If you like the podcast, spread the word. That always helps. I'm always very excited to bring in new listeners. I will be back Monday night. They play the Warriors. I'm going to be podcasting after that one and doing a post-game show for Tuesday morning. That one's going to be behind the paywall. That's going to be the second episode of the week. And I'm just going to kind of let this one sit as the uh, the free episode for the week. So hopefully this one will be good for you to listen to. I'll be on the week. And obviously, unless you have a super long commute, this might take a couple listens to get through, which is how I do my podcasts anyway. I do them during chores and I do them during a commute. When do you listen to podcasts? Uh, in my car, doing chores. Sometimes when I can't sleep, but I won't say which ones because uh, so, some seemingly help put me to sleep. I won't say who, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, I, I, honestly, it's one thing I hate about the, the the worst part about our jobs is transcribing because it's uh, just the worst. But part of it is I can't listen to something else while transcribing. So it's a, it's a it's a major problem. That's true. I know what you mean. Like when you're transcribing, you can't multitask, and you want to multitask so bad because it's so boring. So boring. So I know what you mean. <laughs> um, yeah, I listen to podcasts when I do the dishes or laundry or anything. Like I cannot do a house chore and not listen to a podcast. Anyway, I hope I've helped you make it through your dishes and your laundry. And your whatever else, I'll be back on Tuesday morning with a Behind the Paywall episode. Might be doing another podcast later in the week. Uh, you know, if there's a trade made or something like that, you can expect an emergency podcast reacting to it. And uh, maybe I'll pressure Ben into coming on for a third time over a one-week span. Otherwise, I'll talk to you guys. Uh, you know, you can tune in and listen on Tuesday morning. I'll talk to you guys then. <laughs>